Welcome. You're listening to the podcast where we interview founders innovating at the near frontier, whose companies will give you a glimpse of the future. Near Frontier is brought to you by Cantos, a venture firm that invests in world-positive deep tech startups at Pre-Seed and Seed. To learn more, visit us at cantos.vc. Today, we're joined by our guests, George Foote and Anna Perdrix Russell, co-founders and co-CEOs of Sixfold Bioscience, a UK-based biotech company using AI and biochemistry to solve the challenge of delivery for RNA therapeutics. George and Anna started Sixfold while PhD students in the UK and have built an impressive platform called Mergo to deliver RNA constructs to specific tissues in the body. We hope you enjoy our conversation with George and Anna. Okay, so I want to talk about like why I'm excited about RNA, like and I as a layperson with a bachelor's degree in political science who I'm obsessed with this space, I've done a lot of reading, of course, but like sort of came at it from the outside. And then you and me with your master's in biomedical engineering, who actually understands this stuff, you can tell me how right or wrong I am about it. Does that sound good? Let's do it. Okay. So if you think of biology in this like central dogma that people talk about, that I wish people had described biology this way when I was learning about it, because it's just like so much simpler and cooler, but you have DNA, which is sort of like the code base. And then that gets transcribed to RNA, which is like, you know, sort of the API calling like whatever particular snippet of the code base you need for the task at hand. And then that RNA, mRNA goes to the ribosome, which is basically, basically like, I think of it as the cell's compiler. And it says, you know, this snippet means you make this protein and then it reads it, makes the protein like a 3D printer, literally. And proteins are everything that happens in our body. And so three-step, like very analogous to computing. And all of biopharma to date has been figuring out how to like make the proteins, it, which in a way is like, if you think of a Star Trek society where everybody's got a 3D printer in their house, you know, we're still shipping the end product through Amazon, but mRNA therapeutics and we can get into interfering RNA, but that's basically like just sending the code to the 3D printer that's already in our house. And then it makes the thing that we would have ordered on Amazon anyway. Is that like roughly how I should be thinking about it? I think you nailed it. In terms of the central dogma of biology, I think focusing on the RNA layer is so interesting because on the one side you have DNA and on the other side of the equation, you have protein. DNA is a code base. Protein is what actually does things in the body. And so by tuning RNA, not only can you turn genes off with siRNA or other types of constructs like that, but you can also turn genes on into novel proteins and dictate how to solve diseases like that. And so by focusing on RNA, you kind of have this access to both sides of the equation, which is really cool. And the biggest problem that we've seen in general with RNA, um, especially in the last year with the pandemic is... RNA can control so much of our bodies and disease because it controls the genes, but getting it to the right organ is so challenging. And so with Sixfold, figuring out how to take an RNA therapeutic and actually target it to a specific organ, that's just going to unlock such a new world of RNA medicine. Yeah. And like the, the reason we're all aware of mRNA now is because we're using it as a vaccine. And yet, because it is literally just like our it's biology's API, not even in our bodies and like all living things. It's 
incredibly transformative, could treat any disease theoretically. And yet we use it for vaccines because my understanding is like sort of two reasons, like you don't need a very high dosage. And then because it's in the blood, it filters through the liver. These things tend to congregate in the liver. And because it's immunity propagates throughout the body, it sort of doesn't matter where the vaccine goes, right? Exactly. And so our issue is if we want to treat other diseases in other tissues, then we don't really know how to get it there because we have like sort of this dumb missile and you can either like deliver enough dosage to the body that enough gets where it needs to go that it works. But the problem there is like you could end up poisoning the liver. And so finding out the the right, I almost think of it as like a, like a smart homing missile that you can put any payload in, except in this case, it's therapeutic rather than destructive. <laughs> what Sixfold does basically like, okay, you've got this, this missile, but we need it to have the different type targeting system or like the fins need to be angled a little differently, or it needs to be a different size. And what different like payload do we put in it? And they sort of have a way of doing high throughput testing of designing that missile for different tissue types or, or diseases. And it's, it's a complex missile because it's not just homing the therapeutic to the right organ, but you also need to make sure that the RNA is stable enough, the melting temperature is high, you're not you know, causing some sort of issue with actually getting the RNA through the cells since it is a very unstable construct. And so being able to use this AI driven approach that Sixfold has and make sure all of those parts of the missile have the right homing mechanisms is so much harder. And uh, the, the software combination with the hardware really works there. Awesome. I think I'm ready to go talk to him. Should we do it? So let's do it. Welcome, George and Anna. Tell us a little bit about yourselves and Sixfold. Well, thanks for having us on and for the great intro. I, I don't think we're, uh, you know, alone in thinking that through its ability to control proteins, RNA will be transformative for thousands of diseases, including those that you know were previously thought to be untruggable. Um, and so, at Sixfold, quite simply, we just want to see more RNA in more patients and. The only way we believe that will happen is if you drastically improve the delivery. And Ian, I, I really love your metaphor of sixfold building this, you know, smarter missile by engineering you know, the different elements that, that make a missile go to the right place. Because, you know, fundamentally what we're doing is we are combining cutting edge, you know, computational techniques, high throughput chemistry to identify those novel missile building blocks that you know will eventually end up guiding RNA to, to hit disease sites. And I would say that, you know, both Anna and I think we're probably some of the luckiest people and that we we get to work on this with this merry band of, you know, incredibly talented chemists, coders, uh, and biologists all pulling together. And, you know, it's really amazing to see the innovation, to see the hard graft, uh, the dedication that the team have been putting in behind the scenes over the past few years and importantly I suppose really starting to see it pay off. I'm I'm way less interesting than the, the tech and the rest of our team so I'll I'll try to be quick but um I'm the co-founder and co-CEO of, of Sixfold and I predominantly oversee the operations, IP, uh, investment strategy and hiring and I studied at, at Loughborough and Warwick here in the UK and um, before eventually ending up 
doing a, a PhD in plant sciences at, at Cambridge and the focus of my, my PhD was designing and implementing novel methods for the visualization of a whole array of um, microorganisms and how they're interacting with, with plants and you know, these are very very complex systems lots of different processes and organisms doing different things and I was trying to unpack that so it ended up being really this multidisciplinary PhD where I brought together a variety of different players from you know nanosims specialists in Australia uh, I spent a couple of months with a team in, in Budapest designing RNA probes and I was combining all of this with you know genomics I was dabbling in Python to cut our you know our lab processing times I think at at one stage, I became adamant, rightly or wrongly, that you know, I was going to write my entire results section in Python. Um, and I was able during that time, I think, to, to carve out this little sweet, sweet spot that, that I loved and you know, working across several disciplines and areas of science in this, I suppose, in this sort of very um, process-driven way. And you know, during, during this time, I was very fortunate in, in being able to you know, be introduced to this plucky cancer researcher called Anna, who will be very much better at giving a, an intro to me, so I'll hand over. Sure. Uh, thanks for having us, guys. Um, I'm Anna, co-founder and co-CEO of Six Full Life. I've been heading up our R&D and business development efforts, but my background is in biomedical sciences, so with research basically like focused on translational cancer medicine, working initially on target identification and, and validation, and then moving towards understanding the communication between cancer cells and the, and the immune system. So it was a very broad, multidimensional question that I was trying to answer, and, and this had to be answered through very complex um, in vivo experimentation. And, and during that time, I, I basically had first-hand experience on using different drug delivery systems, and was shocked to see that what I was using in mice and, and wasn't working particularly well is what was being used in, in the clinic. So I guess it was clear that innovation was needed and, and that's where my motivation to, to start Sixfold comes from. And then how did the two of you meet and how did Sixfold come to be? Yeah, so we, we met through one of the sort of many Cambridge um, entrepreneurial networks. That's obviously the, the old school, the OG Cambridge. Um, these, these sort of pitching competitions, um, you know, all about like idea formulation. Um, for I suppose for like starting a company, maybe they're not that helpful, but what they really were good for is like building this really wide network of, of, of people. And, and obviously Anna's research was, was very much focused on, on oncology. Um, and and for us both of us actually that's something that sort of really put, sort of personally affected our immediate families and so we, we were sort of really just discussing during one of these events really uh, the idea sort of gradually emerged and we everyone I think one of the key things was during those conversations that we we're all very aware of you know the huge side effects not just of you know the cancer progression but like the you know the treatment options and you know what Anna was really saying was that if, you know from a you know, basic research perspective, it's actually very hard to deliver drugs to even study them, you know, let alone actually build then a, a therapeutic for it. And so we sort of really would we're really sort of exploring this idea further. You know, how do you get a, a drug to the right place? And that, that isn't just a you know an, an oncology problem. It's actually like a universal pharmacology or drug development problem. And 
for RNA therapeutics, it's it's even more more severe. Um, and so when we we met in what was I think maybe 2016, 2017, um, there weren't actually any approvals for you know interfering RNA, uh, mRNA. Most of the sort of big big pharma companies have really sort of pulled the plug. Some some big clinical failures, and I think at that time it it was it was quite unsexy. But for for us looking in that in a in a bit more detail, once you like really dig into the the fundamentals of it, it really is like a it's a delivery problem. So RNA is it's a delivery problem, um, and so we decided sort of through those discussions to take on that challenge. And I think it was. Um, it was actually quite funny at the at the time. We 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 rang around and contacted lots of people, uh, lots of like big you know prestigious Cambridge professors, you know working in the area, all of which you thought were a little bit bit mad really because I think you know at that point in time RNA just wasn't really progressing. So to sort of base your entire entire company around that was a little bit confusing for all of these really established um, you know academics. And and so for us it was I think it was like a, almost like a slightly vindicated decision but it feels like the you know the the whole world sort of really wants a bit a piece of that rna pie and and, and still you know delivery is that that big problem i think it's really important to remind the audience that while we all found out about mrna in the past year could you again timestamp some of the founding of sixfold for us because you were really working on this before it became popular knowledge so I think we met in, in 2016. We were really sort of just like formulating the ideas. We did a lot of competition, uh, like mini accelerators we did. And we really, we really didn't really get anywhere. But I think we'd always like come second. <laughs> um, no one really sort of believed the, the concept. And so we sort of just carried on with it. I think we knew it would be, a big, it would be something worthwhile tackling. Um, for us, the, the, big, the big breakthrough really was um, we were a part of the winter 18 batch in Y Combinator. And interestingly, after we were sort of accepted, really, during that year, 2018, it was actually quite a big year for, for RNA. So there was like the first um, short interfering RNA. Moderna IPO'd. Um, and there was a lot of interest in RNA, just as we sort of were, just have had a little bit of funding behind this. You both have this research background and are now running a biotech company, um, I think one of the things that we've seen in all founder-led bio companies is that there's a pretty big distinction between academia and entrepreneurship. I mean, both require totally different mindsets, but in biotech, it's often advantageous to have both backgrounds. Can you tell us a little more about that switch from academia to entrepreneurship for you? Sure. Uh, I think that the main difference basically like, is around prioritization, right? Like working on multiple things in parallel, multitasking, but at the same time, focusing single-mindedly into the application because the time horizons are very different, right? Like they're either months or sometimes weeks um, rather than years. So I guess it's this, this ability of like setting key goals and milestones for the short term, but then having that long-term vision on how does each of that milestone, those milestones actually um, get you to where you want to arrive. And so I feel like within academia, sometimes it's a bit easy to go into like a rabbit hole and for like work on a problem for like a few years without questioning what might be the, the long-term impact of, of your results. And, and, and that's where, um, you know, like the, the entrepreneurial uh, part essentially like 
keeps you very grounded into into the problem i think that building a, an amazingly like ambitious team is one of the things that makes the biggest impact so like having like a high growth like creative mindset within within the team is is very important um but i would say it's also more than essentially like starting up i think what's important is like to also like having the the, the resilience that you've also developed through academia right of continuing through the ups and downs like and I feel like for that having this unconditional desire to to find a solution for your problem and working with the right team makes what you know like might seem impossible from the start actually like become um feasible and I'd say that probably like another important thing to realize is that like you're not really bound by the same constraints anymore right like there's a lot less bureaucracy a lot less politics um potentially like a lot more funding that you can tap into uh while while you're starting um your own company and i think like just realizing how to bring all of those together to like rapidly develop a product that can have the like an impact in in people's lives it's it's crucial definitely did you find yourself developing any mental models to kind of prevent yourself from going down some of those more investigative rabbit holes or thinking about different things that might not be totally aligned with the company's mission since now you're not just a scientist, but you have to worry about the, the future of the company and keeping things moving forward? I think in general, it's about constantly having the question at the back of your head as to like, how does this fit with the long-term vision and like, how would you rank it? Um, in terms of impact and, and importance. So like, is it like a, a short-term tool that can allow us to hit a certain like long-term milestone or is it something that like might become a bit of a distraction um, in the future? So like, it's just being quite analytical. We, on a quarterly basis or like even more often than that, um, analyzing the, the questions that need to be addressed. So I think it's just like a matter of really good prioritization. Were there any resources that you might be able to point founders or scientists in the audience to that helped you? In terms of resources, um, for us, the strong network of founders that had already like started either biotech or like tech companies and sort of like had a similar mindset um, and a similar like ambition was to be fair like the, the most impactful resource just like understanding what people have already like gone through and then helping the next uh, wave of founders has been I would say like the, the most instrumental resource. Um, I'd love to switch gears and dive a little bit more into Sixfold itself and hear about how you came up with the idea. What was that process like? Yeah, so basically, like we started with understanding that delivery was a problem through my work in oncology. We did a lot of research on basically like understanding like the, the technological landscape within within drug delivery. And we believe that where drug delivery would have the biggest potential would be within RNA therapeutics, because RNA had the potential to become the go-to therapeutic modality. Our first approach was basically like trying to contextualize this idea um, into what people actually like cared about at that time, which was mainly CRISPR or CAR-T, um, right? So like cell therapies. And 
offering the possibility of using our technology, um, using RNA for the in vivo application of, of CRISPR and CAR-T. But that was mainly like contextualizing, right? Like the, the, the vision of and technology development was mainly focused on RNA um, and then from there building our technology for wider applications. So we basically like had to refine our focus by thinking about like what would be the easiest uh, payload that we could build and, and sort of like developing a differentiated offering. And that's basically like where our focus has been so far. I want to talk about another aspect of starting a business, which is that you, you really are unique in that Sixfold was kind of started from scratch. There, there wasn't a university spin out. You weren't incubated by a big biotech VC. You didn't have like a champion principal investigator you know, leading the company, uh, you went through Y Combinator um, pretty early on in the company's life. What was it like starting from scratch and sort of, as opposed to maybe some of your peers that did start from the more traditional routes? Yeah, I would say it's definitely hard. <laughs> it's not, it's not the easiest approach to do. I think, the, I think it's become a bit easier, actually. When we founded the company, we tried so many different like competitions, investors, literally no one was was really biting at that point and I suppose there's a difference really is when you when you do get that validation um and so we had that that first validation from Y Combinator really what we had to do is move incredibly like quickly I think that and I think that's probably like the difference is you you can't hang around when you do get the opportunity and and during a space of three months you have to really demonstrate value and and before that because we had no funding we sort of had to take those three months as like the you know hang on what what can we actually do during this 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 period um, because we didn't have 30, you know, 30 years of data to pick from, from a, a, our PI or our lab. The only stuff we could really gather and generate was this, and present was the stuff we got during that three months. And I, I think what, while that's incredibly difficult, I think what it has done is kind of put us in this, this mindset of you know, being super determined, taking this sort of really like rapid approach to, to R&D and, and having that sort of growth mindset from the outset. And um, I think if we had had this like humongous, pile of lab data to lean on or you know uh, an established pi saying you know oh, these guys are amazing and we could we could lean on i think what we've been able to do is sort of say you know this is what we've we've built we've done it since you know this this first round of you know funding and i and i think that really sets us up quite well because i think people who are now like able to be part of our of our journey can can really sort of see that rapid development um, and they can see that over a short period of time because that's how we sort of set the company up is to move move really quickly. If I could add here, like obviously like to reiterate that it is harder if you don't have that inherent external validation from from the onset. And we're probably like very different to what you know people are used to seeing or like have a different approach to like company building. And it effectively means that sometimes you need to deliver like, you know, 50% more than than what other people might need to deliver but like i guess we're we're up for the challenge and, and i think like what's important to realize about like biotech evolution in general right is that generally like the ip that you license or like the ip that becomes like the foundation the foundational um ip as a as a spin-off can actually like then become a bit of a constraint in in terms of like what product you can build so like you have like a determined like space in which you can uh, develop and it's quite rare that 
that initial IP becomes um, your final product. So you're essentially like bound to give away a percentage of your company, more so in the UK um, than, than in the US, to a university that adds a layer of bureaucracy um, in within the company. While in our case, we're very like free to, we have been very free, like from the start of the company to evaluate the white space around us, file foundational IP um, on, on different areas. And based on that, evolve our technology um, in the lines of research that we're working better. So like not being like really <laughs> constrained from that perspective. You know, this brings to mind a recent tweet from a, a top biotech VC on the East Coast of the US that set off a, um, I think it's fair to say, shitstorm on Twitter in the argument between sort of the incubation model and founder-led bio. I'm just going to read Bruce Booth from Atlas Ventures tweet for you, and I'd love to sort of hear your thoughts. He said, if you need brain surgery, do you go with the new MD or world-leading neurosurgeon? If you want a successful biotech that brings prescriptions to patients, do you back a recent grad or someone who's led teams and brought prescriptions forward? Drug R&D is always a risky bet, but the latter seems like the smarter one. Now, I will also read our friend and, and a favorite co-investor, Seth Bannon, at 50 years, quickly responded, this is why Microsoft and Google failed. No experienced tech CEOs. Also why SpaceX is such a failure. No experienced aerospace CEO. Also why Genentech didn't work out. No experienced Synbio CEO. And why Ethereum and Bitcoin didn't go anywhere. No experienced finance CEOs. What are your thoughts on sort of that point of view? Well, it's, it's great news for Cantos because you'll be able to carve a slice in this space and because it means that there are you know, VCs out there who are willing to discount great companies based on years on their resume as opposed to what is actually important in creating value. You know, the team, ambition, the concept, insight, IP, data, and I suppose importantly, patient impact. You can hire in or buy experience, but not these, those other points. And look, in, in reality, whether you're a fresh grad or experienced exec, both are you know, valid entry points to starting a company and deciding on whether to invest in one. And I think you can reel off list equally as long of successes based on either approach. So to limit yourself to you know one camp or the other, I think you'll miss out. And what I think is you know really interesting is is seeing how quickly this tweet will age. You know the the companies that are being built now are completely different to the the biotechs of old. You know we're not thinking about traditional drug hunters anymore it's drug engineers and you know we're seeing the rapidly i think as well the, you know the rapidly growing power and influence of ai machine learning symbio you know computation and biology hardware and software uh, and how these disciplines are you know interacting to bring drugs to patients i think both you know, faster cheaper and safer and you know companies and vcs who are, are not embracing that i think will get left behind and who do you, you know? Who do you think holds the machine learning and AI experience? You know, is it the, you know, the freshly minted graduates or is it their granddads? And so I think, uh, I think all I think we can say from here is really, you know, to watch this space. To me, it really depends on what is the goal of the company that you are funding, right? Like, what is their mission? I feel like in biotech, when you're trying to take a single asset drug to market in a more like classical therapeutic modality, such as small molecules, 
then of course you really need someone that has done that process before so that it's expedited, right? But when you're trying to forge a new path to market because there's a problem that needs to be addressed with a, like innovation, then having someone with a fresh perspective um, or sort of like so-called like an outsider to the field is generally like beneficial in my opinion. Um, and I guess going back to his analogy, if I had to have like neurosurgery through a technique that's been around for many years, I'd get an old experience MD that has done that procedure you know, like thousands of times before. But if I needed a new technique because the old one wasn't just good enough or applicable to my case, then I'd go for the younger person who actually developed it. I think it would be an understatement to say that we agree with you, but I will just leave it there. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about hiring. This is arguably the most important thing that entrepreneurs do, and yet it can be the trickiest because there's um, a lot of competition out there and it is intensely qualitative, not just quantitative. You can't just look at a person's resume and make the decision there. You have to figure out how they're going to mesh with the culture you're trying to build. And so how have you gone about this? What have been some things that have worked well and, and some that haven't? Well, I, I I think that you know hiring can kind of be split into two areas. There's the first part, which is finding great people to join you, and that that includes a culture and a skills fit. And then you know the second part, which is equally as important, which is you know creating a a great place to do research because then you need to do less hiring, you know, as your best people are going to stay. And I think on that first part, you know, finding great people, you know, we both feel very fortunate in being able to come into Sixfold and you know, be surrounded by this crazy team of scientists with a, which I think is like a pretty remarkable collection of, you know, PhDs, postdoc experiences at um, some of the world's top institutions. We have, you know, people from who have studied and worked at um, Cambridge, Oxford, Imperial, McGill, UCL. You know, one of the key points that, that bring people to Sixfold is that, you know, potential hires can see that. They can see these, you know, incredible people working on this incredibly important RNA delivery problem and that's I you know what I, th I think drives ambitious people you know they want to work on the best with the best and, and I hear this you know when I do calls with candidates and you know, one of the things I ask is why sixfold and you know to which many of the replies are I can see you know I can see that there is this dynamic you know multidisciplinary crew of scientists they're working on this hugely meaningful problem and you look you guys look like you're having fun doing it. And you know, one thing that really helps is that the sixfold team are, you know, also very, very vocal in terms of verbalizing how much they you know they love being part of Sixfold and working on, you know, getting you know, that mission we have of getting more RNA into more people and you know, people want to be part of that. You know, your other question on who to hire. I think this is a bit of an art form and why why to some extent, you know, entrepreneurship is an apprenticeship because you you learn to spot things that translate well in practice. Inevitably, you make mistakes. But what we look for firstly is, you know, can they do the job, especially for those highly technical positions? And, that, you know, that comes from resume checks, interview questions from the team, um, technicals, reference calls. Now, that's step one, if you like. And then, then step two is, can they go beyond that? So can they learn new skills and adapt you know, new, to new challenges, which is really important, as especially when you're working on new areas of science. I suppose, secondly, you know, are they willing to help other team members? 
and you know how that you know often transpires is do they have a, a multidisciplinary skill set to enable them to do so uh, and then I suppose thirdly really and perhaps most importantly is are they good people you know are they going to bring energy and humor um, and you know and continue to make you know this is a wonderfully dynamic place to work and I think for us how we've always thought about that and hiring is culture is is people not policies and so we try our best to keep you know keep six soldiers this fun you know driven and dynamic place to do meaningful research well one one thing that has been impressive about sixfold is we talk to entrepreneurs a lot who you know for whom recruiting is a major concern is why we've retained a part-time technical recruiter to help portfolio companies but one point is always we is diversity and inclusion we want to hire more women in particular and you know we realized recently i think the last seven investments we've made there is at least one co-founder who is a woman person of color or lgbtq and an observation we've seen across the companies, and particularly at Sixfold, um, is that when that is the case, and in most of those cases, the woman is CEO, it sort of just comes naturally. And last time I looked at your org chart, it was majority women. And I suspect that's because Anna's co-CEO. Yes, the, you know, the, the data is there, certainly within biotech and tech more generally, that you know, they're clearly groups of people that are not being included and rewarded now that's women you know lgbtq disability people of color i think what's also very apparent is the you know the intersectionality of these identities and especially how that interacts with you know with privilege and wealth um you know the amount of founders and, and leadership teams from deprived backgrounds is staggeringly low and now now hiring is hard anyway we know that so if you have a company or an institution that discriminates, you're leaving out incredibly talented people and you're leaving great ideas out there. You know, why, why shoot yourself in the foot? Um, so we've been very active um, in creating an inclusive company that attracts people from all walks of life. And that can then you know, include groups that are considered to be typically less discriminated. Now, how do you get the best talent from marginalized groups to apply is, you know, your actions really have to speak louder than words you know there's no point in in tweeting about inclusivity and you know how great your your policies are if your entire leadership is a monoculture you know it it, sh- it shows externally you know that we have a you know an inclusive org chart and and that includes you know that includes Anna as our, our co-CEO you know our, our board is majority female which is I think exceptionally rare in biotech um, and our leadership team is, I think, majority female too. They're, they're there because they earned it. It's not because, you know, we wanted this cool org chart. You know, we were just very fortunate that we created um, we created an environment that encouraged, you know, talented people from, from all walks of life to apply. I think nowadays most people would agree that diversity is a must in a high-performing team. And I have no doubt that it can be artificially created through like targeted recruitment efforts but in some instances and for certain roles especially it's not easy and it can be draining for the founders or or the HR team and I think that instead actually having diversity within the leadership or senior team inevitably leads to a diverse company. It's important because it makes it explicit that senior positions are held based on merit not by, you know, like how you look like or uh, who you love. And it has really helped us having extremely diverse and high caliber candidates applying. And 
ultimately like it becomes a much more organic and self-sustained approach to building a diverse company than targeted recruitment is. So I guess the, the advice would be plan the seat early and lead by example at the leadership level. Um, but I also think it's important to talk about diversity in a much broader sense. We generally discuss diversity, like the visible diversity, right? Such as like gender and race, but it's also important to acknowledge the invisible ones, like one's socioeconomic background, sexual orientation, disabilities, and diversity of thought. And all of those are also fundamental. And I guess for us, building a culture early on that allowed people to bring their real selves to work and contribute their own superpowers to the company has been a must. Yeah, lead through action. I love it. So the show is called Near Frontier. So I have to ask, in your wildest dreams, if everything goes right, where do you see Sixfold in 20 years? Perhaps I can just like give you a couple of situations um, in which I would want Sixfold to sort of like be the go-to company that people think about. So like you'd be just talking over like a dinner table with someone who knows nothing, biotech, but as soon as you say like RNA, they'd think sixfold right or when you think about like rna therapeutics you would think uh, about sixfold like we would just aim to have a diversified portfolio that would allow us to you know treat and impact the lives of like thousands um, millions of, of patients and also expanding into areas that perhaps would not have been previously thought possible for for a biotech just like having this dna of innovation and being at the forefront of different technical challenges that therapeutics will face um, in the future, right? So like at the moment, we're focused on the like on RNA delivery and these challenges might evolve um, in the future, but we just don't want to become another, just another pharmaceutical company. We want to keep our identity as being creative and a place that can have long-term impact. What are some of the broader trends happening in biotechnology that you get excited about outside of Sixfold's purview or some that are big problems that someone else needs to solve? Yeah, I, th- I think in I think the general general trends and like really interesting stuff is like this this growth of a couple of different fields really. So there's genomics, computational, I think in thinking about sixfold as well there's you know this growth of almost like desktop dna you know rna synthesis you know there's a lot of really interesting companies actually doing this sort of right now so it's like you'll see you've got, you've got grail twist dna script um i think all of these sorts of companies are kind of like interacting in a really like cool and interesting in way really is this this drive of tech bio drive of you know bringing in technology into biotech and how that will eventually sort of percolate into sort of everyday life i suppose it's more like granularity right how you think about treating someone's not necessarily, can we treat hundreds or thousands of patients? I think the granularity is, you know, can we treat one patient? But the the economics of that won't really stack up until you can kind of build in this holistic, I suppose, platform across society, really, which is making sure we can diagnose someone and then making sure we can, you know, administer them the right drug at the, the right time. And I think that's sort of a really interesting thing to sort of grow over the last sort of couple of years. Anna, what about you? I'm actually like particularly excited about how technology is at the moment trying to address climate change, but like from so many different technological like standpoints, going from the meat industry, right? And just like revolutionizing the way we've thought about food production, but also like passing through the way we manufacture molecules or like the way we think about how to develop technologies that can capture CO2 like from from the air, for example. And 
I, I just feel like it's an incredibly exciting place to be and seeing how from very different fields, we're converging into trying to solve pretty similar problem and sort of like having the, the shared end goal. Sounds like if things go phenomenally well at Sixfold and you choose to be a VC one day, Anna, it could be in your future. Uh, that's, that's why we love what we do. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I think about this intersection of computation and, and biology, and it's, it's, I recall one of our limited partners who's been a VC for a long time. He became a VC in the early 90s, and they were focused mostly on, you know, servers and chips and on-prem software. And the, the partners tasked him, the young analyst, on this emerging internet thing. And they saw it as sort of other and were skeptical of it. And as, as we know, over the next 20, 25 years, it became all of software. And it sort of feels like maybe what's happening in biotechnology, we like to think of it as tech bio, just to flip the emphasis today. And it is incredibly exciting. It sort of feels like we're in the early internet of this intersection between computation and biology. And I couldn't be more excited about it. Well, when Sixfold becomes the other company thought of, in addition to Moderna, when people think of RNA therapeutics, uh, sort of the the Genentech of, of its era. And let's say it ends up making you both billionaires and put you on the spot. What are some of the things you're going to do with it? That's a very good question. So I'd say that probably like, well, neither George and I or I like are particularly materialistic. So I think it's probably like going to be more around how to leverage that unique, like privileged position that we would be in to or like impact wider society problems right like and this could be within the health space or or, or otherwise um i think personally like i would really like to focus on like societal challenges that require like that require basically like long-term vision and execution and that haven't been in my opinion um particularly well addressed yet and that basically like affect people firsthand I think I'd like to jump into like building potentially like a social enterprise. And what I'm most interested in is addressing the, the, the homelessness like crisis or like using education as a platform to provide equal opportunities. So I'm iterating on a couple of ideas there. And I think like ultimately I would never be able to detach myself from like biotech and healthcare, but I would like to explore solving problems in, in other areas. Amen. So let's do it together. George, Anna, thank you so much for joining us on the show. We're a little biased, but I think we can all agree that what you're building is going to be a real game changer for cancer therapies and really all diseases, given the potential of RNA therapeutics. So super excited for that. Do you have any concluding thoughts or open recs you want to share? How can people connect with you? Thanks for having us. Um, great to catch up as always and to you know, have you on board. Um, I'm really excited for this next chapter too and cracking on with the mission of getting more RNA into more people. I think that the easiest way, if anyone wants to connect, is there's you know more info on our social and website at, at sixfold.bio or just you know DM me directly. Yeah, thanks a lot for having us in in the podcast and also for joining us as part of the Sixfold journey. It's been a pleasure so far and can't wait to see what we build together. Absolutely. Likewise. We're glad to be on the team. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Near Frontier. A full transcript and links to external content mentioned are available in the show notes and at nearfrontier.com, where you can also find other episodes of the show. 
To leave feedback or suggest future guests, you can find us on Twitter at CantosBC.